Well, a few years ago, I had quite the posh job. And if you couldn't tell, that was sarcasm. <laughs> I, had, I worked as a grocery clerk in a grocery store. And uh, it was a fun job, I guess you could say. Uh, there's nothing wrong with working that kind of job. It paid the bills. It paid for my school. It paid for the gas in my car. It eventually paid for an engagement ring so I could ask my then-girlfriend to marry me. And uh, <laughs> so it, it did its purpose. It fulfilled its purpose as a job. Um, but one of the things that it really wasn't a long-term solution. It was it paid minimum wage barely. I mean, in three years of working there, I got one fifty-cent raise. And uh, one of the things I really remember was the really frantic closing every night that I worked. I usually worked an evening shift, four to nine, and uh, closed the store. And it was crazy. There was all sorts of jobs I had to do to get things ready. Uh, for the morning. And so I would come in at 4 right as my boss was leaving, and then he would come in before the store opened the next morning. So everything had to be perfect for him. And so every night about 8.30, I'd start going crazy. <laughs> had to do all sorts of jobs. Had to uh, count all the bread in the store so they knew what to order. I had to fill up the whole dairy section. I had to tidy up all the shelves that all you customers mess up all the time. And <laughs> Then I had to clean up the coffee grinders that were always a disaster. And had to do all these jobs, but you know, all of these, if these weren't done in the morning, my boss would not be a happy camper. So I had to get them done. And I didn't procrastinate, they just had to be done right before the store closed. And so these were all things that I had to do in light of my boss's returning the next morning. Today, we're going to look at the Bible at something that we as Christians need to do in light of the Lord's returning. And unlike when I, I knew when my boss was coming back. We don't know when our Lord is going to return. And so this is something that we need to always be on the alert to do. Now, it's not a task that we have to do begrudgingly or really frantically. It's something that's a privilege for us to be able to do. Something that we need to be reminded of. But it's not burdensome. It keeps us connected together and connected in community. That's what the, seri- the name of the series we've been going through, Connected in Community. And as we've gone through, we've been looking at the one another's of Scripture. Things like love one another, forgive one another, serve one another. And so today we're going to look at another one. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. That's after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians... 1 Thessalonians. Alright? And as we look into this today, I want to first ask for God's wisdom and guidance as, we, as he guides us into his word. Lord, I pray uh, that as we look into these words that you've, um, you've spoken, that people have written down for us to read today. We pray that your spirit will be working through it in each of our hearts that we would learn, that we would grow, and that we would be inspired to live lives that are more reflective of you and live lives that are looking forward to the day that you return to take us to be with you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so the book of 1 Thessalonians was another, written by, another letter written by the Apostle Paul. 
It was a letter to the church in Thessalonica, which is now modern-day Greece or Macedonia. Paul wrote this letter to encourage this church in their faith. From the reports he had received from Timothy and others, they were doing well. This church in Thessalonica was doing well as Christians, as believers. So a lot of Paul's letters he wrote to correct things, and to make sure people were doing things right. This one he was very encouraging, saying, you know, it was like a pep talk that a coach gives a team that's already winning. Right? Okay, guys, you're doing great. Just keep going. Let's finish this thing off. Let's finish strong. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Something that we especially need to do in order to finish strong here on earth. And of course, it's a one another. So let's read this passage together. We're in First Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, and see if you can spot it. Okay, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Excuse me. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Did you see it? Right at the end there, the one another. I put it this way as the first point. We need to encourage one another in light of Jesus' imminent return. Because Jesus is coming back soon, we need to encourage one another. That's what this passage says. We need to encourage one another in light of Jesus' return. We'll get to encouragement in a minute, but first we have to look at what Paul says here about Jesus' return. Read with me again verses 1 to 4. It says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So Paul talks about the day of the Lord here. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a biblical term, just talking about when Jesus will return to earth. 1 Corinthians 1.8 says, He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things take place on this day. Number one, Jesus returns. Number two, believers are finally and completely saved. And number three, the world and wickedness are destroyed. Those are the three things that happen on the day of the Lord. In your notes, I called it Jesus' imminent return. Imminent return. Imminent just means that it could happen at any time. It could happen any day. It could happen today. It could happen a month from now. It could happen a hundred years from now. We don't know when Jesus returned, but it could happen any minute. Let me list some dates for you, okay? These are some years in history. 
The year AD or CE, 90, 365, 500, 968, 992, 1000, 1033, 1186, 1205, 1184, 1536, 1993, several fellow Baptists. <laughs> They've all predicted these days as days that Jesus will return. The Jehovah's Witnesses, who as a religion have not been around for, I think, 150, 175 years. They have their own graveyard of mispredictions. 1994 and so they marked May 21st on their calendar. Or have you heard all this stuff about 2012? Now that's not necessarily talking about Jesus' return, but a lot of people think the end of the world is coming in 2012. Because the Mayan as the, and the Aztec calendars come to an end. So if those come to an end, well, we must all be doomed. I can't help but laugh when I hear these things about people trying to predict when the end times are coming. Because... And you really, as Christians, you don't, need to, you don't need to be worried about this. You don't need to stress about this. You can laugh. You know why? What did Jesus say about the end? You remember what Jesus said? He said that the date of Christ's return was a secret, even between the members of the Trinity. You remember that? Jesus said in Matthew... Chapter 24, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if Jesus didn't know when he was coming back to earth, these people are crazy to think that they know when Jesus is coming back. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says something similar. He says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. A thief in the night. In other words, you don't need to worry about when the day of the Lord will come, because you don't know when it's coming. It could happen any time. But we do know it will come like a thief. 
That's based on another quote of Jesus in Matthew 24. It says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's the whole point of this thief in the night analogy, that it's going to come unexpectedly. I remember watching a TV show where this um, villain in the show told the detective who was investigating this case, when you least expect me, that's when you can expect me. <laughs> Try to wrap your head around that one. <laughs> when you least expect me, that's when you can expect me. All of us dread hearing noises in the middle of the night. When we're asleep in bed, especially ones that sound like someone uninvited is in the home, Right? all woken up that way, thinking, what was that? Did I leave the door unlocked? Just, I can't, I don't recognize that noise. It's terrifying sometimes. <laughs> if any of you are thinking of breaking the, our house, just know I sleep with a baseball bat under my bed. <laughs> you don't want to be the one that finds out whether I know how to use it or not. But sometimes even our imagination plays tricks on us when this happens. One time I remember waking up in the middle of the night and hearing this banging noise. And it sounded like it could have been coming out from our balcony. We live in a condo, third floor, so it sounded like it could have been coming from right outside our window. Woke up. Didn't know what it was, so I grabbed the bat and started walking around the house, investigating, trying to find the culprit. And... After I looked outside, there's nothing there. I'm walking around. I don't hear the noise anymore. So I was satisfied. Everything's normal. Went back to bed. And then I figured out, as soon as I lay back down, it starts going again. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. The air conditioner's on, and the air's blowing in a way that's hitting my ear. <laughs> Stand up again, it's gone. Lie back down. <laughs> And my imagination was playing tricks on me. I didn't know what the noise was, and so I started to think that there was someone in our house. But there wasn't, and it was okay. But we dread that. We dread finding someone who doesn't belong in our house, like a thief or a burglar. And if there was a thief in the house, it wouldn't be a very fun surprise. And that's what Paul said, those who don't know when, or when Jesus returned, those who don't know him should dread his return. They should dread his return. In verse 2 and 3, it says, For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's a scary thing. And those who don't know Christ should dread this day coming. Many people today... Just say, oh, that's, that's a fiction, that's a fable, that's not going to happen. And that's how they look forward to it. But it will come. Peace and safety here is sound, other versions translate as peace and security. Sounds like what everyone is going after these days. Peace and security, could, it sounds like they could be some slogan for an insurance company. You want peace and security? Of course. Peace and security. You want peace? You want security? It's not wrong to want these things for your family at all. But we can't be like the world 
to put all our hope in earthly peace and security. can't be like that. And Jesus' return will catch the world off guard as their peace and their security come crashing down. It's, it's tragic what we see happening in Japan. But this will be worldwide. Don't need to live by a coast. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse 3 says it will be very sudden, like labor pains of a pregnant woman. I'm, looking, I'm both looking forward to and not looking forward to the date that my wife said, okay, it's time to get to the hospital. <laughs> it will probably come very suddenly. And I'm looking forward to it, of course, because that's the day our baby will come. and We'll see this new life. I'm not looking forward to it because my wife at that time will probably be in a lot of pain. <laughs> and it's going to come suddenly. And that's when Jesus' return will be like sudden pain. And the world will be thrust into destruction. But we as believers, Paul says, don't need to be afraid of this. We don't need to be afraid of the unexpected. Verse 4 says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. And you're like, wait a second. It's unexpected, but it shouldn't surprise us? How does that work? It's unexpected, but it shouldn't surprise us. Well, it will catch the world off guard. But it shouldn't catch us off guard. Sure, the timing may surprise us, but the fact that it happens shouldn't be surprising at all. It's like knowing that a thief is coming before he's coming. Okay? We hope that we don't ever have a thief show up in our house, and so it can still be a shock when it happens. And it can be really freaky. But imagine for a f- that we knew for a fact that one day there would be a thief in our house. We know that. Well, when he shows up, <laughs> ah, he's finally here. That's what it's like for us with Jesus' return. It's unexpected, but it shouldn't surprise us. It's like, ah, he's finally here. He's finally here. Completely unknown time, but not surprising. So the Lord's return is imminent. Unexpected, but not surprising. And then in these next few verses here, Paul talks about how we need to live in light of this return. And the climax, he lists these ways that we live, and the climax comes in verse 11. He says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Before we get to the reasons why we need to encourage one another in light of the Lord's return, let's define what we mean by encouragement. The word for encourage here is parakaleo, which means to comfort, to encourage, to exhort, or to urge. So it means anywhere from comforting someone maybe someone who's grieving or going through a tough time, to exhorting and urging on and spurring on. There's a wide range of what this word means, to encourage one another. The dictionary definition of encourage is to inspire with courage, spirit, or confidence. I like that definition. Anything that helps us be inspired to have courage or confidence or have a strong spirit, that's encouragement. Verse 11 says also to build each other up. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This is a form of encouragement. And how we build each other up is with our words. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. How many of you ever enjoyed playing with Legos? A lot of us. Talk about a toy that transcends generations. I loved playing with Legos as a kid. My younger siblings just devour them. They play with them all the time. And while it was fun to, you know, like there's these sets that you can buy off the shelf, and it was fun to build these, like a spaceship or a pirate ship or a race car or something like that. It was fun. I had more fun making whatever I wanted out of all the sets mixed together. So, a racing pirate spaceship? Yes! Now, I want you to imagine, though, for a minute, that each of us have a Lego creation that we're making, okay? Each one of us have this building or a house or a submarine or a ship, whatever you want, okay? We're all making this. And we all... And this... Creation, this thing, represents you as a person. Okay? So we each have a Lego creation, and it's representing you as a person. Sorry, I lost my spot. <laughs> and imagine that we took this with us everywhere, but that we weren't building on these ourselves. Okay? So don't imagine that we're building this. Imagine that you have it, but other people are building on to your Lego creation. And every Sunday, you brought this thing, whatever it is, to church, and other people would bring a few bricks along, or a few accessories to add to it. And so you're holding out your creation, and they stick a couple on. That's what it's like with our words. Each of us only get a chance to speak a few words into each other's lives every week. And little do we know how much it impacts each other's lives. It's building on to each other. Some people take a chance to rip a chunk off or tear it down instead of building up. It's like we're holding out this creation. Here, what will you do in my life this week? And you really need to think about what words are we speaking to encourage one another, to build them up. It's very important that we consider this. And, of course, this doesn't mean that these are all spoken words. These could be words that are written in an email, or a Facebook message, or a text message, or a letter. Or maybe they're words that are implied by the way we look at others, whether good or bad. You need to really consider that. Okay, so I think that you get the point here. The Lord's return is imminent. It's coming soon. It will be unexpected. And we need to encourage one another and build each other up with our words. But what in the world is the connection between those two things? Why do we need to inspire each other to have courage, spirit, and confidence in light of Jesus' return? Why is that? Why do we need to build one another up in light of Jesus' return. Well, there's a couple reasons we, I believe we see in this passage, and we'll spend the rest of our day looking at these. But number one, I put it this way, we need to encourage one another in light of Jesus' imminent return because we need to stay alert as children of the daylight. We need to be encouraging because we need to stay 
soberly alert. We need to encourage one another because we need to stay alert as children of God. Read with me starting in verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, Peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us be like others who are asleep. Let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So Paul says in these verses that instead of being in darkness, we've been brought into the light as sons and daughters of the light, sons and daughters of the day. Those in the world belong to the darkness and the night. We do not, as children of God. People like to label different groups of people as children of something. right? So children of the sea, children of the 70s, children of the gods, whatever. And the list goes on. But we as believers, Paul says here, we're children of the light. We're children of the day. Sons of light, sons of the day. In verse 4 and 5, or verse 5, sorry, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So what do we need to do as children of the light? Children of the daylight? So then, in verse 6, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, Get drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So you ask the question again, why do we need to encourage one another? And I would answer, because it is hard to stay alert. It's hard to stay alert. The world around us lulls us to sleep. We get caught up in the cares of the world, cares of the day. And we need to be encouraged to stay strong in our faith, to stay faithful, to keep growing, to stay alert, to stay awake. Paul uses a lot of word pictures in this passage. I'm sure you've seen the thief in the night, the labor pains, night and day. Here he says the world is asleep and we are awake. Now this can be confusing because Paul in this Uh, passage here, he uses the word asleep to refer to two different groups of people. Back in chapter 4, verse 13, he says that certain people have fallen asleep. He says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Here, he's talking about people who have died physically. Okay, So he's saying that those who are asleep are those who have died physically. Now, here in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 5, he says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Now he's not talking about those who are physically dead, but he is talking about those who are dead spiritually. The spiritually dead in the world. And then we'll see later, he goes back and starts talking about those who die as being asleep physically. 
And so he goes back and forth here. It can be confusing. But why do we need to stay alert as opposed to those who are spiritually dead? Why do we need to stay awake? Well, Paul is once again echoing the words of Jesus. Something Jesus said, he remembers, and he keeps explaining to people what Jesus has said. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servant in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That's what Jesus said about his return. And here Paul says, we need to stay alert. We need to stay awake. We need to keep watching. Imagine at your job, if your boss left you with this big task to do and said, I'm going to come back and check on you. He doesn't tell you when, though. So you're working away at this job. What happens if your boss comes back and you're asleep on your desk and there's drool all over your keyboard? and <laughs> Not good news. <laughs> you, know, you know your boss is coming back to check on you. You don't know when. So you're going to stay alert. You're going to keep working. You don't want to be caught sleeping. That's what Paul's saying. We can't be caught sleeping. We need to stay awake. Stay alert. And live in such a way that we won't be caught sleeping on the job. But at this point, life, life is difficult. It's hard. Things happen. Difficult things come into each one of our lives. On a sport, and we all need encouragement along the way. As things are difficult, we need to keep being encouraged. Imagine a sports team. If uh, someone, let's say on a hockey team, came in and scored an amazing goal, what do his teammates do? They cheer him on. They run and group around him and shout, yeah! <laughs> now imagine if that same person went in, scored this amazing goal, and his teammates ignored him. They just went and lined up for the face-off, got ready to continue the game. That's not natural. <laughs> we learn naturally, we grow up. Something good happens, someone does something good, we cheer them on, encourage them, let's keep doing this. Good job. It's not natural to start ignoring that or not seeing that. We naturally learn to encourage one another. But do we do that in our faith? Do we naturally encourage one another to keep growing, to keep striving? What do we need to encourage others about? How do we encourage one another? Well, Paul says here, I think we see a hint of it in verse 8. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. We can encourage people in these ways to be self-controlled, to be growing in faith, growing in love, growing in hope. Do you ever notice these things in people? That's something I have trouble with is just seeing it. 
seeing people growing in love, seeing people growing in their faith. Just take some observation. When was the last time that you consciously cheered someone on it in their faith? Maybe someone younger than you, a younger Christian who is serving in the church. To encourage them to keep up the good work. To encourage them to keep growing, to keep to point out good things in their life. Those of you who are young believers here, listen up. If you are walking with the Lord, it is a hard thing to do in this life. Good job. Keep it up. It's not easy. Doing great. And if you're serving in the church, serving the Lord, or serving other people, great job. Great job. You're putting your faith and your love into action. Or maybe I'll turn it on you guys, you who are young. Do you ever encourage those who are older in the church? Do you see what they have done for you? Do you ever thank them for their faithfulness? Do you ever thank them for their investment in your life? For their legacy of love or faith or hope? For their years of service to you or your church or your family? For any of us, do you ever tell people that we're praying for them? That can be really encouraging. As long as it's true that we are praying for them. There are some people here today that I know we can really use encouragement. Some of us come here on a spiritual high, and others, we're in the depths of despair. Do we look out for those people, encourage them? Some people might be going through a really tough time of loneliness or of pain. Our goal as the church should be to never let someone leave without being encouraged. Never let someone leave without being comforted, inspired, to have courage or confidence. We have to build them up. That connects us together. Strong community. And really, if you think about it, it's easy to encourage one another. It really is. Sure, it takes some observation to notice, but once you do, it takes all of two seconds to thank someone. It takes just a couple minutes to write them an encouraging email or a Note, tell them you're praying for them. Or it just takes a minute to give them an encouraging verse from Scripture or a promise of God in their life. It's easy to do. It's very easy to do. Notice that Paul here in this, in this uh, chapter, he's putting into practice what he's telling them to do. He tells the Thessalonians in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact... You are doing. Just as in fact you are doing. The message reads verse 11 this way. So speak speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be joined together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. See what he's doing? He's telling them to encourage one another, but he is encouraging them. Saying, just as you're doing, keep up the good work. Keep going. Some of you are already great 
and encouraging others. There are believers that are amazing encouragers to other people's faith. And if you're one of those, great job, keep it up. Some of us need to grow, myself included. We need to grow in this area of encouraging one another, strongly building each other up. So let's do it. Let's get better together. Well, so far as we've looked at this passage, I think we've left out something. I think we've left out the most encouraging thing we see that should encourage every single one of us in our faith and that we can encourage one another with. Paul doesn't leave it out, though. Let's read. I put it this way before we read, sorry. We can encourage one another in light of Jesus' return, for we have received salvation instead of wrath. We have received salvation instead of wrath. The most encouraging news we can ever hear is that we have been saved. That's the most encouraging thing. Read with me in verse 8. It says, But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is not necessarily something or a reason why we need to encourage one another. It's more why we should be encouraged. It's not as much a reason as we need to encourage one another. It's something that we should encourage one another with. Some of you might have been bothered when we read earlier in verse 3 about the day of the Lord and how it will bring destruction. What's, isn't God the God of love? What's with this destruction, this wrath? I don't get that. I would say that, yes, God is a God of love. God is a God of love and mercy and grace, but he's also a holy and righteous and just God. These characteristics, his love, mercy, and grace, and his holiness and righteousness and justice, they are perfectly balanced in his character. Perfectly displayed in God. And here's the thing. If we were perfect, it would be wrong for God to bring wrath. You get that? If we were perfect, it would be wrong for God to bring destruction. But we're not. We're not perfect at all. We're the opposite. Each one of us has sinned countless times against God in our words, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, through our pride, our greed, our lust, our hatred, our envy, our immorality, and so much more. 
We fully deserve God's holy and righteous and just wrath and destruction. We do. And that is where his love comes in. That's where his love and his grace and his mercy are most fully displayed. We're before God and we deserve it. And he said, no, I'm going to show you love. I'm going to send my son to earth to take my wrath for you. To die for each one of us. By dying on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath that we deserve. And now all we have to do to avoid this wrath, it's mind-blowing. This is all we have to do is accept Jesus as our Savior. To realize that we do deserve death, but that he has brought us life. This is something that many of us have done. But this is something that all of us have to do. We must He offers us salvation instead of wrath, the opposite of what we deserve. Verse 9, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted that before, please come talk to me. It's something you need to do. Jesus could return any day. And his destruction will come. And you need to avoid that. You need to escape his holy wrath only through Christ and his cross. For those of us who already have been saved, how is this news so encouraging? How is it such an encouraging thing? We'll read verse 10. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, We may live together with him. His death brought us life. How encouraging is that? We will live together with him. Through the salvation that Jesus has brought, we'll be with him forever. It's the most amazing paradox that we'll live through death. Paul says that whether we are awake or asleep, this time again referring to those who are physically dead, so whether we are alive or dead, we will live with Christ when he returns. That's encouraging. That should encourage each one of our hearts. And then verse 11 comes in, what we've looked at already. Therefore, encourage one another. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. No matter what you're going through today, what season of life you're in, high or low, somewhere in between, you can be encouraged by this. You have been saved from wrath and given salvation. The cross has paid your debt. You've been promised that one day you will live with the Lord forever. 
that's encouraging. We should be encouraged beyond words through these truths and then turn to one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. For the Lord is returning soon. Let us be alert and encourage one another until that day as children of God's light. Let's pray. Lord, in light of your coming, We pray that we would live in such a way that displays your love for all the world to see. That we would realize just how much our sins have grieved you. We would realize how much that should cost us. But through Jesus, that you show us mercy. You show us grace. All they can do is stand in front of you, God, and just say how amazing the God you are. That you would provide a way for sinners such as us to be saved. We thank you. We pray for your spirit's empowerment as we go. That we would be able to live in this way. Encouraging one another, building one another up. For your sake. In Jesus' name, amen.